This episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast is sponsored by Device Talks Tuesdays, our ongoing digital conference series bringing together the leaders in medtech. Join us this Tuesday at 4 p.m. to hear how surgeons and medical device companies are using telemedicine technology to regain access to the operating room. Go to devicetalks.com to register for this free event brought to you by Avail Med Systems. All right, you ready for this? Ready. So I'm here. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Once again, I am joined by the biggest man in show business, Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device. Good day to you. You flatter me, Tom. You just flatter me. <laughs> Trying to end this week on a positive note or uh, some, some bumps, literal bumps in a car accident over the weekend. And then, of course, Told me that, yeah. the the the. The bus accident that happened on, on Tuesday night that involved two presidential contenders. But we'll move beyond that. Yes. And uh, <laughs> let's move beyond, Tom. <laughs> I've already forgotten. <laughs> what happened Tuesday? <laughs> what was I doing? <laughs> I, I'll look for the answer at yet another bottom of a beer can tonight. But but let's uh, <laughs> let's focus on everyone's favorite industry, medtech. And uh, it's been a been an interesting week of some acquisitions and some uh, some approvals. So before we get into our interviews, we've got a couple of great ones lined up. We're going to be focusing on uh, sort of connected technology and I and, and IT technology. We'll be talking with uh, Ira Barr. He's the COO of AliveCore, and we'll be talking about their uh, wearable technology and how they're using it for clinical trials. And then later on, I get to talk with Dan Hawkins, who had been CEO of Shockwave, now he's CEO of Avail Med Systems, and they have a very cool telemedicine company that really is opening up the OR. Uh, and actually, they'll be a uh, the the host of our device talks Tuesday on Tuesday, and uh, this is going to be some cool stuff. You, you, yeah. uh, you folks will want to check it out. Not above and beyond the telemedicine aspect. aspect Dan has some ideas for uh, other applications for the technology that that folks should hear about. But first, let's uh, let's get our wrap up, our rundown. Let's do it. Our top five list. Number five. What is All the right. number? Wait, the I fifth gotta, biggest like, story on Master. We're going to do the new markers, newsmakers. So it's. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I practiced this and I messed it up. Hold on. <laughs> that is simply outstanding. That's perfect. Get it? And it indicates that it is time for the New Markers Newsmakers. So the, uh, yeah, the New Markers Newsmakers for the week. So number five. We have uh, BD won a uh, C mark for a 15-minute uh, COVID-19 diagnostic test. So just another, hopefully, just another <laughs> rapid test that we can uh, bring out there, you know, onto the market. Uh, you know, help with the uh, management of the pandemic. So you know, the more the more tests, especially reliable tests, that we can get out there, the better. Can't have too many of those. Exactly. Number four. Number four. We've got Boston Scientific launched next-gen uh, TAVI system in uh, in Europe. The uh, accurate Neo2 aorta valve system and you know taver i mean it's really been dominating you know, dominated in the u.s by edwards life sciences uh medtronic has been you know came in a few years ago has been competing against them but you know boston sci um has been you know kind of you know trying to get in there with something uh you know more innovative and it looks like they're kind of moving ahead in europe so excellent news great 
Let's go right to number three, and then we'll get into our first interview with Ira Barr of AliveCore. Well, number three, we've got uh, Coloplast investing $4 million in uh, Francis Medical. And Francis Medical, based in Minneapolis, you know where I am, uh, they've, uh, you know, they develop ablation technology that's uh, designed to apply thermal energy that's stored in sterile water vapor to provide targeted treatments to to cancerous tissue and procedure that's uh, transurethral. So, uh, you know, kind of like this interesting prostate cancer, you know, treatment tech that Coloplast is uh, interested in, they're investing in, um, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see how things uh, go with that. All right, we'll hit the last two Newmarkers newsmakers after this interview with Ira Barr, the COO of AliveCore. Well, Ira Barr, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's a uh, it's an exciting time to be uh, focusing on uh, on connectivity technology and sort of bringing the bridging that gap between patient and, and clinician. And I want to talk about uh, some clinical trials that uh, that you've been working on and some new tech that can make them move more easily, especially during this COVID era. But I'd love to open up this interview just finding out. I'm sure people have heard about AliveCore, but uh, if you could just take a moment just to explain what you're working on and uh, sort of what's your next exciting uh, exciting project at AliveCore. So it's a great story, and it starts with our founder, uh, Dr. Dave Albert, who around 2011 had this idea that for the first time he would be able to create an ECG wave using a small device connected to a smartphone. And, you know, theretofore, no one had ever done such a thing. And you know that, uh, you know, to get an ECG, you need a patient in a supine position, generally in a clinical environment. Uh, There are 10 leads to deliver a 12-lead ECG uh, 10 electrodes that have to be attached to the patient. And the ambulatory devices, those devices that a physician uh, may give to you if they want to monitor you outside of a clinic, um, were also filled with wires and adhesives and patches and all kinds of things. And he wanted to find a newer, more modern, advanced way of, of doing this. And he did a YouTube video in 2011, which uh, ended up catching fire for whatever virality meant back then, uh, which was <laughs> obviously at a, at a smaller scale. Uh, but particularly in the medical and cardiology uh, communities, it became really an immediate uh, sensation. And uh, people uh, just could not believe what they were seeing, which was that it was a device that weighs uh, you know, less than 20 grams, fits in the palm of your hand, uh, you know, around the size of a stick of gum, and you put your fingers on it, and it delivers a medical-grade, FDA-cleared electrocardiogram to your smartphone. And then uh, several years later, uh, the company uh, developed, uh, using machine learning technology, uh, the algorithms, uh, to be able to actually evaluate those heart rhythms on your smartphone so mm-hmm. that now we can, with an amazing degree of reliability, and the algorithms themselves, of course, um, have to go through not just regulatory clearance, um, but also uh, you know, peer review and validation in the field, um, we can detect atrial fibrillation, we can detect bradycardia, tachycardia, and we, we continue to work on the AI every day. And today, the product is the most clinically reviewed personal ECG in the world by a long shot. Uh, there are nearly 100 studies around the world uh, using CardioMobile uh, products clinically, and they've been evaluated for a, a wide range uh, of applications in, in the care flow. Uh, so that's sort of where the company is. And last year, I would add, we the, the product changed dramatically because we went from uh, the ability to evaluate a single lead to a product that's roughly the same size that actually delivers six leads of data. And uh, that is just unprecedented. I mean, we went to uh, some of the uh, trade shows when there used to be trade shows. Uh, you know, the electrophysiologists and the cardiologists, again, they were as astonished with what we were showing 
uh, as as they were, uh, you know, eight years before uh, when we chose the single lead. So uh, it really is a, a six lead ECG in your pocket today. How are you getting the CardioMobile into the hands of, of patients? Is this a large consumer play for you, or are you really relying upon uh, physicians as a go between? So, our relationship with the cardiological and electrophysiological communities is a key priority for the company, and we've nurtured it and worked on it uh, for, for nearly a decade. Uh, and we think that uh, through research that nearly half the people who have a cardiomobile product have it because their physician told them it would be a good idea for them to evaluate heart rhythm at home. So the answer is that uh, it's a critical part of, of the value that we provide is that we work with physicians. And, and the physicians love having us because it allows them to monitor patients for a wide range of use cases um, for, for a range of things. And it gives peace of mind uh, to their patients. Um, and it's convenient and it's easy to use. The patient acceptance is high. The answer is that, that we get an enormous amount of business because of physician referral. However, from an economic standpoint, most of our business is because consumers buy it directly. That you know, we're, the, the product is available at CVS and Walgreens and on Amazon and, of course, on our own website. Um, but, but longer term, uh, we see our product being used in a, a clinically reimbursed context. Um, you know, obviously, that's a, a longer march to get to. So today, we have a very meaningful business, uh, not just in the United States, but in the United Kingdom. We recently launched in India. We are in Korea, a uh, total of 37 countries around the world. That has largely been a consumer business in the march to uh, reimbursement for our products is a longer one, but we expect to get there soon. Question I typically ask, second or third question is is this one, how has COVID impacted your business? Clearly, the the, the need to remain connected is uh, more important, and, and COVID really did shine a sort of a black light on, on all the shortcomings of uh, healthcare and medtech and helped us discover the importance of telehealth in other areas. Has has uh, LiveCore benefited from that same wave? You know, I sort of, I think the answer to this is unfortunately, yes. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible way to see the acceleration of, of remote healthcare, but clearly, as you certainly know, uh, the pandemic has accelerated and amplified everything that it was inevitable in any case. Like I used to say that, that you know, remote healthcare and the delivery of services, diagnostics at home, is as inevitable as Uber and as inevitable as Amazon. It was going to happen. Uh, what the pandemic was, did was that it accelerated and amplified and magnified all of those trends. Uh, and the result was for us an enormous increase in both attention to our product and in uh, in our business directly. Because um, you have patient populations that, uh, in many cases, you know they're locked down because of shelter-in-place restrictions, and even where um, they might have a, a clinic to go to. Um, they don't want to go to the clinic because they, they, the perception was and continues to be uh, that there might be a greater exposure to the virus, particularly in a medical facility. Uh, so, the, so the result is that the, uh, the wish of people to be able to uh, monitor uh, certain uh, uh, physiological uh, metrics at home has, has gone up dramatically. And one of, the, one of the key ones is electrocardiogram. And what opportunity, and again, we don't want to turn this into a positive conversation about COVID because there's nothing positive about it. So but that caveat there. Uh, what opportunities is that presented for a live core and for connected technology when it comes to clinical trials and things like that? Because there are so many areas now that we need, we need to remain connected. We can't not be connected. How does this, uh, what opportunities are there for live? Well, it's, it's enormous. Uh, it, you know, you, you, essentially in the pandemic uh, began, 
uh, most all trials were shut down. There was just no way to do them. People were, had to go to centralized locations, the extent to which, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic uh, and some of the local restrictions, they were just unable to do. Um, and sponsors and CROs scrambled to be able to find ways to, to continue as much of what they were doing as possible. And, and they had to find tools normally available in a clinic with blood pressure, EKG, that could be operated by the patient and provide you know, the high quality, reliable, clinical uh, data that they need to do the study. And our products fit perfectly into that paradigm. Are you working directly with the, the CROs then more closely than, when you, than you were before? And maybe you could speak to more broadly, what percentage of trials will, including, will be including, if not a live course technology, connected technology to make them more virtual? You know, I, I have less of a view of the entire industry because we're just, you know, a player in it. Mm-hmm. So the industry information with respect to uh, the percentage of trials that will be remote, I, I would only be speculating on. But I will tell you that the segment that is remote is certainly growing extremely uh, rapidly. We play a role with both uh, CROs and then certain uh, specialty uh, disciplines that a CRO would contract for. For example, uh, one of the big ones is, is heart safety. And you, you saw a lot of this. Uh, when this hydroxychloroquine idea started to come around at the beginning of the pandemic, and it got a lot more attention than it was due, it turns out, because there were certain political influences, et cetera. Uh, but the result was that there was an enormous amount of interest in testing mm-hmm. uh, that medication with respect to uh, uh, COVID-19 patients. And the, there was a major uh, side effect uh, of that medicine, which was the prolongation of, of QT, which I assume you're familiar with, which can in some cases be fatal. And that class of testing, uh, is, is known as cardiac safety testing. And within, within the context of testing a medication, there is a separate focus included in the overall research, which is, is there going to be this potentially fatal uh, side effect? So with respect to those medications in which they need uh, to study cardiac safety, uh, we are playing an enormous role. So we do business uh, with both CROs and with uh, specialty research companies that focus on cardiac safety. Are there barriers that are keeping us from having more virtually run trials to having this sort of connected technology help us collect data more quickly and perhaps from larger patient populations? Absolutely not. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, this is like asking, is there any barrier to people getting more smartphones, you know, 10, 20 years ago? <laughs> I mean, it's, it, 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 the whole thing is inevitable. I mean, I think, you know, when a physician needs to do an intervention and see the patient, obviously that's not going to be done at home. But for everything from applying a stethoscope to, a, to, to someone's chest, um, to, to connecting electrodes, to uh, assessing blood pressure. All of those things can easily be done uh, remotely. I'm sure you've seen some concepts in which there are otoscopes um, and other diagnostic tools that can all be used remotely. So it's a really exciting time and it's utterly inevitable. And the only question is how quickly will it happen? And going forward, I mean, how do you see LiveCore's business growing? What percentage of it will be coming from clinical trial opportunities and what percentage of it will come from, from other? And maybe there's maybe you could break down the other for me. So the, the two big segments of business and the way we look at it are the business that comes directly from consumers, where we have a direct relationship with consumers. And to give you uh, some sense of this, there's, there's been roughly a million of these devices sold, mo- most of them in the mm-hmm. United States. So it's a big, big number um, of people um, who are uh, connected uh, with our infrastructure. The other part of the business is the commercial side of the business. Uh, and that can take uh, many forms. There are cases in which um, we have physicians who, who, who buy our products 
um, themselves, and then they transact uh, with their patients in one way or another. Uh, we have a physician's platform in which physicians can monitor large numbers of patients using what we call our Cardia Pro platform. Um, and also in the commercial side of the business is this clinical research space. And our uh, commercial side of the business is not only the fastest growing part of our business today, largely driven by commercial research, by, by uh, clinical research, but we expect it will drive most of our growth in the next five years. And last question, how do you see this sector more broadly growing? And, and how do you make these sort of devices more sticky? I mean, I've, you know, I know there, there was your product and then the, the Apple came out with the, the watch, our Apple watch that is able to measure something. And you can probably explain to me the difference in measurements on my Apple watch and, and, and on your Cardio mobile device. But going forward, how do we make these products more uh, uh, attractive to consumers and, and get them into the hands of more people? Well, look, the, the number one barrier uh, to consumer adoption of any product you sell is the price. And it, it, in, in, in the world of sales and marketing, you know, people will all understand that as an axiomatic principle. And uh, what I said uh, when uh, the Apple Watch is introduced is it's just technically, it's just terrific, does, does a terrific job. Uh, our algorithms do a lot of things that theirs don't do because we're, we're just more clinically focused than they are. Um, but the, the trouble is that the patient populations who are most interested in heart function, heart rhythm, are those people who are least able to be able to afford and or understand uh, the Apple Watch ecosystem. So if you haven't got an iPhone and you haven't got an Apple Watch, mm -hmm. it's going to cost you over $1,000 uh, to get into uh, that ecosystem. The other thing is the, the, the complexity of being able to understand the relationship between the watch and the platform. Um, and all of those things create something where it's sort of an interesting feature to, for them to have added. And for someone like yourself, um, it's probably, go, huh, isn't that, isn't that fun? Right. Like that, that kind of reaction, right? Um, whereas you don't really have a clinical need to have it. Uh, those people with the clinical need can get our six lead product for less than $150. They can use a huge range of, of lower priced smartphones. Uh, for example, we, we work on dozens um, of Android uh, platforms, which of course are far less expensive than Apple's. And in that way, that we achieve our goal of making these products way more accessible to the patient populations who need them. Excellent. That's a great breakdown. Uh, and anything, final question, final, final question, anything else we should be looking forward, any news we should be looking to hear from uh, LiveCore in the future? Any, uh, any updates you can share? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking that question. Um, look, we think that uh, taking uh, an electrocardiogram is a key part of assisting people with their heart health. But what we want to add to the equation is a service layer in which um, we can digitally begin to coach patients to manage through whatever conditions they have so that every day it's not just taking readings, but it's helping them understand what to do, how their lifestyle can affect uh, the outcome that they're seeing uh, in the metrics that we are taking. So a lot of the company's efforts today is on condition management rather than just on evaluating the fact that a condition may exist. And how does that, uh, I know I promised you that would be the final question, but you've piqued my interest. How does that uh, change your, your, your business, adding that, that service element that seems to be uh, um, a large undertaking uh, from being just a device company? No, it, it is, and it changes the company dramatically, and it adds an entirely new kind of business today. Uh, it, we are at the very early stages, mm -hmm. but you can subscribe as a consumer uh, to something called Cardiac Care. And what cardiac care gets you among a long list of other benefits is that you can send uh, your electrocardiogram 
uh, to a board-certified cardiologist who will give you a full evaluation well beyond the evaluation that occurs on your device. Uh, so that that connection between being able to just see your rhythm, being able to see the determinations that come automatically within our application, you can also get a professional evaluation of that rhythm strip all through our platform. Well, that sounds like very exciting and important work. And uh, I'm glad you shared it with us on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tom. Great conversation. Okay, we're back. All right, Chris. What are the final two, the biggest two stories on Mass Device this week? All right. Um, you know, our two largest stories um, have to do with uh, mergers and acquisitions. We're just really actually, even though we're in the middle of this pandemic and a, and a tough recession, we're um, you know, seeing some really interesting you know, kind of like tuck under M&A deals as companies are seeking to acquire new technologies. Uh, you know, number two, we've got Smith and Nephews, you know, they're going to buy uh, Integra's extremities business for uh, $240 million. And they're saying that's going to significantly strengthen their uh, extremities business by adding a combination of um, a focused sales channel and a complementary shoulder replacement and upper and lower extremities portfolio. So I got a little secret for you, Chris. Can I tell you a little secret? It's about next week's podcast. Yeah, we got Smith and Nephew coming on. We will. I'll be talking to Skip Keel, the president of orthopedics All on right. Monday. So we will have the insights for you next week. So folks should tune in. That so. sounds great. Be interesting to see if Skip has some thoughts on that. Absolutely. And now, number one, bring it on, boy. You know, our number one story this week is that uh, Medtronic is going to uh, acquire uh, Avenue Medical. Um, this is a uh, creator of endovascular enterovenous fistula. You know, the uh, terms of the acquisition are not disclosed, but it's uh, it's uh, endovascular creation of AV fistula for patients, patients who have end-stage renal disease and you know, undergoing dialysis. So, you know, it's a single catheter ultrasound guided device that's designed to insert a catheter uh, into the arm to create a durable AV fistula. And, you know, this is just you know, really important because if you don't have a, you know, a, a you know, dur durable fistula, then you can't you know, really undergo dialysis treatment. So it's, you know, the terms of the deal were not disclosed, but, um, you know, obviously Medtronic, like making a, you know, making a play to do more in the dialysis market. Is your mom so proud of you for being a medical device writer? She always dreamed that you would go to medical device writer school someday, didn't she? You know, totally. It really is her uh, dream come true, Tom. Even even though <laughs> she probably, I don't think she, she she's probably like, what do you write about? I think that's, uh, that's a good <laughs> So this is a good conversation I can have with her. She's like, what is it exactly that you write about? Well, that's a great top five. Uh, now let's get into our, our keynote conversation of the day where I spoke with Dan Hawkins, the CEO of Avail MedSystem. Let's listen. Well, Dan Hawkins, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. I appreciate the chance. So we're excited to hear more about Avail. I got to write about you a couple of probably a month or so ago. Uh, this is a really cool technology that is uh, so well-timed in terms of the impact that COVID has had on operating rooms, but uh, clearly there was a large niche for it before you, uh, you even got it started. So talk to us a bit about what Avail is trying to do. So what we're trying to do is create a network that enables what I would describe as a democratization of access to clinical expertise. Right now, to be able to participate in a procedure, to be able to launch a new medical technology, to be able to train a new medical technique, to be able to provide general training in, in a given procedure um, to clinicians that have yet to be exposed, you need to physically be in an operating room or a procedure room. We've developed a technology that enables that through a purpose-built flavor of telemedicine we call procedural telemedicine to enable somebody remotely to have all of the capabilities they would have in being in the procedure room 
and then many new ones, including abilities to freeze frames and, and ability to draw on screens and the like. And that we think creates a very rich experience and opportunity to convey medical techniques um, uh, without actually having to be in the room. So what led you to, uh, I think the company was already going when you joined, but it was clearly in its very earlier stages, but you had been at Shockwave, you had been a med tech exec and on sort of the therapeutic side. This is quite a, a shift over to, to join a company that's providing more of a, a, a visual service for the OR. It's a different business entirely. What what peel did you see in, uh, in the Avail story? Uh, so that's right. I actually um, had spent the preceding 23 years in therapeutic devices and most recently as founder and CEO of Shockwave Medical. I transitioned Shockwave over to Doug Godshall to take uh, public and, and proceed forward largely, frankly, for family reasons, um, but then elected then to really start looking around for new technology opportunities and really was looking for something that had an opportunity to have an impact across healthcare, across all medical devices, the entire industry, ideally. I was introduced to an early stage uh, effort that, that, as it turns out, is now the underpinnings for what is available, but we did in fact have to revamp all of the hardware, had to rewrite all of the software, we had to completely change the business model. Um, but that all got- Other than that, it was all fine, yeah. Yeah, other than that, it was all good. No, <laughs> look, the, uh, the, the guys involved uh, had uh, a great fundamental premise. There were a handful of things that I quickly saw as somebody with as much time in the industry as I have, that, that if you were to do things a handful of different ways, you could create a really compelling story, which is really how it panned out. And I got started in 2017 in August, and, and we got our first institutional funding in May of 18. And, and that really is what launched the company to get us to where we are today. So talk to us a bit about your, your procedural telemedicine system. What are the components and sort of where does it fit into the, uh, the operating room? Fundamentally, this starts with the notion that there needs to be image and audio acquisition in real time, high resolution. We do that via cameras that are remotely controllable, meaning somebody across town or across the country or across the world using an app, that a proprietary app, the Avail System app, or using our portal via a web-based interface on a laptop or a desktop, has an ability to control cameras in a procedure room. And by doing that, they use pan, tilt, and zoom control. Um, those are very high-resolution cameras. The uh, uh, latency from acquisition to display remotely is less than a half a second, which makes it real time. The back of the system um, in the operating room, it's a console of sorts, kind of think of it as a bit of a tower. It has the two cameras and an integrated screen. And on the back of that, there's some plugins for intra-procedural imaging. And by that, I mean an angiogram or an ultrasound or a laparoscope image. Even a robotic surgery image can be plugged into the back of the system. And all of those are then video sources, somebody remotely, can access and control and view and interact with uh, from our app or through our portal. Whatever somebody sees remotely and decides to look at is displayed in real time, again, half a second latency, back in the operating room on our console. So really what we have is an ability for somebody remotely to control a video whiteboard have a direct real-time conversation with somebody remote and do that all in a framework that is purpose-built for 
uh, interactions in medical technology procedures. Really what you should be thinking of Avail as is hardware-enabled SaaS, if you will, software as a service. We're really a software mm-hmm. company, and the hardware is image acquisition and display. Uh, and I want to get into that business model in a second because it's really fascinating, but the, the demand for this system had to have increased following COVID when uh, folks were being kept out of the hospital, salesmen couldn't hit the hospital, because could, couldn't go into the OR like they used to just to prevent against infection. So you had developed this already, you already, you already had this in the market. But what, what problem were you trying to solve before COVID and how has all of this changed your expectations for what Avail can do? So pre-COVID, we actually set the system up, the, the uh, business model, and I started the company on the premise that uh, if one could have universal access to procedure rooms, obviously with permission, HIPAA compliant, fully encrypted and secure, but if you could have access to procedure rooms um, remotely, one could provide technical and clinical expertise in a much more fluid kind of a manner. Today, if you wanted as a salesperson to be in a procedure room at nine o'clock in the morning on one side of your territory and 10.30 or 11 o'clock in the morning on the other side of your territory, you better hope your territory isn't bigger than a couple of square miles because you're just not going to make it, right? Um, And if you are an expert clinician who's been asked to be part of a procedure in another city or another state, that involves leaving your clinical practice, rescheduling all of your patients, all of the travel logistics to go in for a 45 to 60 minute procedure, which is roughly on average what cases are across specialties with obvious exceptions. And then you've got all the logistics of getting back, then you have to catch up on your on your patients that you delayed and everything is, is challenging. The notion here is if you could do that with full functionality and then some, but do it remotely, you would increase the clinical expertise interactions dramatically. Uh, that was an existing problem prior to COVID. In the medical device industry, between 50 and 60% of all the time that field people, meaning salespeople or clinical specialists spend, is spent in logistics, driving to hospitals, getting upstairs, getting into the OR, after the procedure, waiting for the next procedure, and then driving from there to the next hospital or home. They spend a lot of time in logistics. It's unfortunate because that's selling time. It's unfortunate because that's clinical expertise transfer time. It's unfortunate because fewer locations benefit from the expertise that salespeople can provide. We were, we were initially founded to solve that problem. What COVID did was put a spotlight on that problem when all the access was restricted. And yes, we did have an explosive interest in uh, access, um, you know, remote access, I should say, because of COVID and all of the restrictions that that imposed. What's really interesting though, Tom, is after a, a, a bit of a time period, a dwell time of telemedicine in healthcare, there's a shift that happened several months ago, and it has actually more significantly increased uh, interest in the medical device community, meaning vendors. And that shift is a realization that telemedicine is here to stay. It's not only accepted, it's embraced, And if they could, in fact, have telemedicine under a platform that enables their field teams to be remote and serve more customers' needs through a remote platform, that is a better way of doing business. To launch new products, 
for professional education and to serve customer needs on an ongoing basis through daily procedure volume. Almost overnight, medical device companies all over the country and frankly the world have have been reaching out to us. And there's a consistent theme. There are, are groups of people, if you will, task forces inside these medical device companies, small caps, mid caps, and most certainly the large caps, reviewing uh, different technology solutions for being remote. We have been in every one of those conversations and thankfully our solution is viewed very, very positively. We've uh, been able to sign quite a number of those on. Um, but what they're really looking at is how do we use remote technology now to better serve our customers, to better train and to a better launch products. It's a change in philosophy and mindset of how to do business. And you used an interesting word before network. And it does seem to be that because it's, if you get one of your devices into an OR or into a hospital's multiple ORs, that channel belongs not only to one partner, like your Smith & Nephew, your orthopedics partner, but you can, you can I imagine, leverage that channel to, to different medical device companies that want to have access to that operating room at different times. Is that how you view it? That is exactly right. And the way we solve that, Thomas, is, is, is really two different ways. The first one is we recognize that hospitals are not awash in capital uh, uh, to deploy to buy equipment. It's very, very challenging for hospitals to acquire even fantastic clinical equipment, let alone a piece of equipment that amounts to a way for them to better operate in their uh, efficiency-wise, better operate in their operating rooms and procedure rooms. Uh, so from that perspective, that goes a little bit to our business model. We don't charge for the hardware. And by not charging for the hardware, we make it easy for hospitals and ambulatory surgery centers to bring the technology in. But also by not charging for the hardware, um, we are able to, to make sure that utilization of it is in fact vendor neutral. By that I mean in the first of the morning, it could be a Medtronic procedure followed by a J&J procedure, followed by an Abbott procedure, followed by a Boston procedure and every other vendor you can think mm -hmm. of um, on the same, if you will, cell tower. Kind of think of these consoles as cell towers. And every one of the vendors that is on board with us would have access via the app or the portal to ping the cell tower and be involved in a procedure. As we actually set it up, it is the hospitals that reach out to industries so that we maintain uh, an ability to, from a hospital's perspective, control who comes in and, and whatnot and, and avoid spam calls. As you might imagine, you don't want to have a spam call. Um, but that, that allows that network functionality. Super interesting. We've actually had vendors suggest to us for certain types of procedure categories, they might actually think of having an in-house team that supports customers remotely. Hmm. I don't want to quite call it a call center because that cheapens what it mm -hmm. is, but an in-house team of experts that is the go-to phone a friend, if you will, for help on a procedure. If you think about that from the perspective of optimizing patient care, isn't that really what we're trying to do? Mm -hmm. And and that provides you a way of doing that simply because we built a platform that is as easy to use as the easiest of these telecommunication things, these you know Zooms of the world. Um, 
but it has all the functionality you need to be um, a very, very instructive and useful in a, in a medical device procedure. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we will have uh, more questions for you on Tuesday. You're going to be our uh, guest on Device Talks Tuesdays. I've got some uh, some ideas and some thoughts that I want to uh, clearly ask you then. And uh, it really is an exciting story. Thanks for sharing it. And uh, thanks for, for being on the podcast. Thanks very much for the chance and speak with you Tuesday. All right. Well, that's a wrap. And once again, folks, Dan Hawkins will be on our upcoming Device Talks Tuesdays to uh, share more details on Avail System. And I had lots more questions for him in this interview, but I'm saving them for Tuesday. So if you want to hear them, just uh, go to devicetalks.com, go to Device Talks Tuesdays, register for free. And the bonus is if you do listen and you watch, you can ask Dan questions yourself. So don't leave it all to me. Although I am a professional, you folks all have probably better questions than I do. Chris, are you on the social media thing? I can't remember. Oh yeah, yeah, I do that a little bit. You can find me. You can find me around somewhere. I'm I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a Newmarker, and I'm on uh, Twitter at Newmarker. Always always happy to to connect. Awesome. And I am also on the LinkedIn machine. You can find me, Tom Salemi, and I'm on Twitter as well at MedTech Tom. That's a wrap, folks. So you could do us a favor, please, by sharing this podcast, telling your friends. We're getting a lot a lot of great connections on the aforementioned LinkedIn from folks who enjoy the podcast. And I always tell them, thank you for your kind words, but please tell your friends. And we honestly mean it because the more people who are listening, the more fun we have doing this. So uh, so please uh, share this on social media. Tag Chris and I. We'd love to be part of that conversation. Subscribe. That way you ensure you're one of the first people to get this podcast when it comes out on Friday. We don't post it really until over the weekend and on Monday. And uh, finally, again, Give us, a, give us a ranking on uh, on your podcast channels. Let us know how we're doing. The rankings help other people find our podcast. That's it, folks. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast sent directly to you. See you soon. Ah.